0: Greetings and welcome everyone to another episode of Sunrise Apologetics. I am recording this uh, Sunday morning around 8 a.m., a uh, sermon that uh, I'm going to be preaching in about 45 minutes to our early service, so I hope that you enjoy it. Um, I hope that wherever you are, you are safe and you are uh, reading your scripture and you are being encouraged by the Lord as the world is uh, in continuous cycles of hurt and pain and um, and that's really all I'll say about that. I uh, uh, Somebody asked me the other day, why don't you comment more on um, COVID or, or civil rights issues? And my answer was simply that I'm not a doctor, nor am I a civil rights activist or expert. Um, I have my personal opinions uh, 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 that are formed by scripture uh, to condemn any and all forms of racism and brutality. Um, but I have to stay in my lane of expertise. I have to stay where I study um, and let the experts in other fields address the field that they study. So, um, But uh, the Lord has led me to the passage of the Good Samaritan this morning from Luke chapter 10. And uh, starting in verse 25, the Bible says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him, him being Jesus, and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, "'You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself.' And Jesus answered him, "'You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live.' But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "'And who is my neighbor?' And Jesus replied, "'A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead.' Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him up on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. And that's what I wanna talk about today is going and doing likewise like the Good Samaritan, showing mercy to those who are in need. And there are three distinctive things that I want to draw out of this text that the Good Samaritan does. And this is why Jesus highlights him as a person to emulate for showing compassion and showing mercy to others. But just first, a little historical context. So the road that this man is on, there are so many accusations uh, most of the time when crimes take place of, well, why were you there in the first place? Or, you know, why did that happen? Or you shouldn't have been there. First of all, as far as being somewhere I do agree with don't go stupid places and you know and, and win stupid prizes while you're there, um, and, and don't generally go places that you may know to be a danger. But this was simply a road running from Jerusalem to Jericho, and they knew it was dangerous. But it was the main road of commerce between these two major cities. These people had to work, they had to live, they had to trade, they had to take food, they had to buy food, they had to sell food and make money so they could feed their own families. This is the equivalent of saying, oh, why are the truck drivers out on the road? Don't they know there's car accidents? They shouldn't have been there. Um, And it's just foolish ideas like this. And so this road that that is on is dangerous, but the man wasn't there because he was seeking danger. He was there because he was doing his job following commerce. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said this about it. He said, I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as a setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conductive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho 15 or 20 minutes later, you're about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. And so it's extremely dangerous, this place. The other historical context that's kind of rolled up in this text is the Samaritans themselves. The nation of Israel was divided among two nations in the days of King Rehoboam. It was comprised of ten tribes to the north, and Judah was made up of Judah and Benjamin to the south. And the animosity between the Jews and the Israelites began immediately after the division, as Samaria, being the capital city of the northern kingdom, where Jeroboam was her first king, Rehoboam assembled an army to make war against them and reunite the kingdom, but God intervened in 1 Kings chapter 12. And it says uh, there was a war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life, and immediately after the division, Jeroboam changed the worship of the Israelites. No longer did the inhabitants of the north travel to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice and worship. Instead, Jeroboam set up idols in Dan and Bethel. And later, Israel's fall to the Assyrians. They begin to intermarry with the Assyrians. So this is contrary to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God said, stay within your own people in terms of religion. Stay, uh, do not marry the people who have false religions as compared to you Israelites. But they begin to intermarry with the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians are one of the most barbaric groups of that time. So they are similar to Vikings in the sense that they rape and pillage, and, and they just raid villages and steal people into slavery, um, and, and kill, kill the men, steal the women and children, um, these type of actions. And so the, the Israelites begin to intermarry with these Assyrians and produce Samaritans. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans for this reason, and eventually, because of this hatred, the Samaritans began to hate the Jews back. So you have this racial uh, inferiority complex for the Samaritans, who know that they're viewed as less than by the Jews, and the Jews who feel superior. And they're looking at the Samaritans, and they're saying, you are less than, you are a half-breed, you are the product of, of evil, and uh, it was okay to hate them. So when you imagine this this, this, this man on the road dead, this Jew, Suddenly, when you think about the Levite and, 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 and the priest going by him, there, there are lots of you'll hear lots of commentaries or you'll hear pre- preachers say that, oh, the, the priest couldn't touch a dead body or he was going to the temple. But if he was he would have to have been going to Jerusalem to go to the temple and it was not a feast day or else this, this Jewish man wouldn't have been traveling the road. And so you'd have to devise a scenario where the, the priest is on his way to offer a sacrifice at, at a time that we don't know of the day. Um, this would have to be on the Sabbath or around the Sabbath, and he doesn't touch the dead body, even though Jewish law says they could have, because a dead body on the land would have been a stain upon the ground, uh, and so they would have been allowed to move a dead body. And so what we're really seeing is probably just the point Jesus is making. They passed by, and for whatever reason, and it's easy to defend them or or, or condemn them, but they passed by. And the point of the parable is that they did not stop. They did not have the three things that the Samaritan has for this Jewish man. Now, this Samaritan knows that he's hated by this Jewish man. The, the, the Jews hated Samaritans to such a degree that they destroyed the Samaritans' temple on Mount Grisium. Due to this hatred, some think that the lawyer's phrase, Those, the one who had mercy on him, may indicate a reluctance to name the Samaritan. Uh, or on another more positive note, it may be indicate that a lawyer has recognized that both his questions have been answered. And so, you know, we don't really know there, but um, that's just some notes um, from some commentaries. The, the important point is this. The good Samaritan is not good because he's a Samaritan, any more than the Levite or the priest was bad because they were a Levite or a priest. The good Samaritan was good in the parable of Jesus because he did three important things that are Christ-like. And this is the whole point of the parable for Christ. This is the reason he brings the parable up. This is what he wants us to understand. And so looking at this now, let's look at these three things. So, So we have the road, the historical background of the road being a dangerous road, but a road that had to be used for commerce. And then we have the issues between Jews and Samaritans. The Samaritans were the racially uh, uh, inferior and minority group, and they were oppressed by the Jews. It's a historical fact. They were. And so now we have the Samaritan, who would have normally been oppressed or felt oppressed by this Jewish man. He now comes across this Jewish man, who by cultural right, he should leave half dead and leave to die. Wondering if the Jewish man would have done the same for him if he, the Samaritan, had been the one to be laying there half dead. But he doesn't. What does he do? He picks him up, pours his own oil and wine on him, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to an inn and pays with his own denarii for the man's wounds to be tended to, and then promises he will return and come back and pay whatever the balance is that the man has used up in the meantime. This is what Jesus wants us to see. Three things. First thing, number one, he had compassion upon him. He had compassion. Look at that. I think it's verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion upon him he had mercy upon this man he did not know this man who would have treated him possibly with with inferiority he had compassion upon this fellow human being and that compassion leads him to save his life and these these three things are being emulated in the person of jesus christ because think about Jesus. When Jesus has compassion for you and I, he came across the world which was broken and half dead. And instead of going, well, you know, I'll just move on. I'll just create myself a new world and a new planet for, 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 to worship me. He had compassion. He invested himself. And so this hurt and this pain that this, this Jew is feeling, the Samaritan tended to, the hurt and pain that you are feeling Jesus will tend to. Um, I think about Lamentations chapter 3. 31 and 32, the Bible says, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he may cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So God is not going to leave us in pain forever. The prophet of Lamentations is looking at the burned city of Jerusalem, and the inhabitants have been taken captive to the city of Babylon, And he's looking at the burned ruins of his home, and he's saying that God will not leave us here. God will not leave our homes and burned and destroyed. God will restore what he's given us. Because though he may cause grief, and and God will cause grief, God will cause pain in your life. He'll cause trouble. He'll cause trial. And he will do this, as James chapter 2 says, so that you will know your faith so that you will know what it means to have true faith, not just live in a cookie-cutter Christianity where everything's great all the time and you don't ever really have a need for Christ. No, God is saying, I will give you trouble so that you will turn to me and seek me. Though he will cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And this is the truth for you and I. We need this compassion. We need this compassion of Christ. You and I needed Christ to come down and stop where we were, half dead, and lift us up. Compassion is the first thing. What's the second thing the Samaritan did? He invested himself. He invested himself. Look at, uh, let's see, it's verse uh, uh, 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn and took care of him. He invested himself in this man's life. He fulfilled the ultimate element of discipleship. This is what Jesus is asking us to do in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. It's not just go around and tell everybody just a few gospel sentences and then move on to the next. No, he's saying, invest yourself in their lives, make disciples. That's a long process, at least three years. That's the standard set to us by Jesus, at least three years. Anything less than that, and you can't say you fulfilled the Christ model of discipleship. And so invest yourself in it. And how does this Samaritan invest himself? Not only Does he pour on his own oil and wine, put him on his own donkey, but he takes him to the inn and says, I will come back. I will come back. So he has invested himself so fully that after he goes and takes care of his business that he started out to do in the first place, he's going to return. Christians, this is a famous quote, but, and I'm going to paraphrase it. Why are we so willing to go across the world and especially on social media and debate theology? and debate somebody who we think is wrong, and get them right on a Facebook comment board. But we will not even go across the street in our own neighborhoods, across the street from our houses and our front doors and our lawns, and preach the gospel and make disciples in our local church. Why are people leaving the church in record numbers? Well, two reasons. I think those numbers are inflated. With an easy-to-believe gospel that says you don't even have to really repent, just you know, say this prayer and do this, and then you're good. But the second reason is, is because people come in and they're not discipled. They're not loved. They know they're not, and they leave. And this is where we fail. This is where we fall. So we must invest ourselves, Christians. We must invest ourselves in these people as Jesus wanted us to. And that leads us into the third thing. He is going to return. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I uh, move to the return, I want to read a text from Hebrews. Hebrews ten nineteen 19-22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by Christ Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened us uh, for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Christ in the incarnation, the act of God taking on human flesh, that is the ultimate investing into you and I. He didn't just come down to us and be near us. He became like us so that he could make us like him. This is incredible. And I know the incarnation is a doctrine that might be a little hard to understand at times, but this is what Jesus is doing for you and I. He invested himself fully in the flesh so that you and I could invest ourselves fully in the spirit by the opening of the curtain. That curtain that hung in the temple If you go and read the Gospels, when Jesus is crucified, it splits in half from the top to the bottom, revealing the holy place, the Holy of Holies, where no man could enter before. Save the high priest, revealing it to all and bringing all into the Holy of Holies. The temple later being destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD as prophesied in Revelation. And now the Holy of Holies is in the heart. This is is the Holy of Holies. I'm pointing at my heart if you're listening on the podcast. This is the Holy of Holies. Your heart. This is where now Christ resides, where the presence of God comes down and sits on the new mercy seat. That is your salvation given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's made this way for us. He invested himself fully into the world to make salvation possible. By coming in human flesh, he has fully enacted the role of the Samaritan, hated by the ruling class, Murdered, oppressed, and thought to be tossed away. But Jesus, Jesus could not be tossed away. Through his resurrection, he has fulfilled the promise. And which leads us to the last thing, the final point, number three, the return. The return. Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Jesus has has had compassion. He has invested himself, and he will return. And this is our promise that no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how much trouble we may go through, he will return. And so what can we do in the meantime? Because our world is hurting right now. Our world is in pain. Christian, wanna, I wanna say something that, that some of you believers may not think you need to do, but I'm, I'm hoping that you will reconsider. And that is to repent now i know that's usually associated with pre-salvation and 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 sinners who need to be saved but christians we who are who are believers we who are saved in christ need to repent just as much because we still have sin and if i asked you plainly if you were sitting here in front of me and i could ask you have you sinned today this week this month you'd have to say yes you'd have to say yes psalm 51 the the psalm that david wrote After he had the affair with Bathsheba, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from this sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know what you've done, just as I know what I've done. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Folks, when we sin against someone else, we have sinned against them, but ultimately we've sinned against the Lord. And so I'm asking you, I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm I'm sort of begging here that you must consider that you will never be able to have the three things the Samaritan has or that Jesus had, compassion, investment, and a return without repentance. Jesus didn't have to repent because he's God, the only one who doesn't have to repent. But the command from Scripture is clear. Mark chapter 1, repent and believe. In the Greek, that ends with the uh, omega, which makes it a command. In the verb tense, you must repent and you must believe and you must come to the knowledge of the truth. So are we willing to do this? Are we willing to have these three things? Are we willing to cross into... Uh, another person's life, invest ourselves with time and even money. And ooh, I know, money. Invest ourselves in maybe something that seems dangerous or seems scary or, you know, I don't even want to go out right now on any road. I don't want to invest myself. I'm comfortable in my Christianity. There's another famous quote that uh, in most churches, the problem is that we sing about standing on the promises while we sit on the premises, sitting in our blessed assurance. And this is not the command of Christ. The command of Christ is for us to go. To go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to invest ourselves with compassion, to preach the gospel as Christians more than any other doctrine more than any other belief that you may have about the world. Your first priority is the gospel, and I'm talking to you pastors more than anybody else. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Repent and believe in his name and you shall be saved. This is the message that we must be preaching. So are we going to have compassion? Are we going to invest? And are we going to have a return? Because Jesus has had compassion. He has invested himself. And finally... He's going to return. Are you there with me, Christian? I pray that you are. And in fact, I'm going to pray right now for you and for I, that we would be invested with compassion. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. Lord, no we ask that you would give us compassion in our hearts for others. Lord, leave us not half dead on the side of the road. There are many that we know, we have loved ones, Lord, who are there. And we ask now, Lord, that you would forgive Lord, you would take away our sins and wash us of our iniquities and give us now, Lord, over to the right mind and the right heart. Lord, I ask for today as I I go and preach the sermon another two times, Lord, that you would bless it, you would encourage your people, and you would bring glory to yourself. We ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. God bless everyone.